Are you a fan of our podcast? If so, make sure you're following us on all of our social media channels. You can find us on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter by searching trans performance By following us, you'll have access to exclusive content, special announcements, and more. Join the T2 community today. So welcome to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And me, Benice Cassidy. Hey, Benice. Hey. Are you chilled? Yes, are you? Very. Yes, good. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so quick podcast, quick fire, 25 minutes, because it's an important week next week. It is indeed. What is next week, Benice? Next week, so 15th to 21st of May, is Mental Health Awareness Week. Big week. We always champion it every year here at T2, and we try to produce content uh, in line with that week to support our customers and just anybody really who listens to our content and watches our content in terms of coping mechanisms, the psychology behind well-being mm. and mental health and uh, little things we can do to improve our own well-being. Uh, what's the theme for this year? So this year, the theme is anxiety. Anxiety. Probably a topic that almost every human being on the planet can relate to. Yeah. We all experience anxiety uh, to different degrees, um, but we probably safe to say we all experience anxiety every day or every week in some mild form, in a severe form, in an ongoing form, in a periodic form. We all experience anxiety. It's a very humanistic thing. Yes. So I think it's probably worth starting there, isn't it, for next week? Anybody who's looking at Mental Health Awareness Week and the topic of anxiety or is exploring how to unpick and understand their own anxiety. Yeah. It's probably worth starting by saying that it's an entirely human thing. Yep. It it serves an absolute purpose. Yes. It always has done mm-hmm. through evolution. You know, we always talk here at T2 about the three core functions of human existence is survival, reproduction, and purpose. And survival and reproduction are very animalistic. Every species on Earth, on Earth has to survive self-preservation mm-hmm. and has to continue their species. It's why we're hardwired to do the things we do. So anxiety is programmed in us for millions of years to be able to switch us on to danger. Yeah. Save our life. Keep us alive, right? Yes. So, however, what we was discussing earlier in the office, Benice, isn't it, is that over those hundreds of thousands of years where we've really evolved, um, it's gone from bursts of anxiety in true life or death situations to an everyday thing. Yes. The anxiety response can be triggered by now non-life threatening things. Yeah. It's a perceived threat or a perceived danger to us. And that's that's why Mental Health Awareness Week is important to to get people to understand what's happening to normalize it somewhat and to give people the understanding and hopefully some coping mechanisms to be able to navigate it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So big topic. We can't possibly cover it all in 25 minutes, but we'll maybe just talk around a few hints and tips mm-hmm. around what's going on. So do you want to start us off, Benice, by talking around the brain chemical that causes anxiety? So just to give people yes. who are listening, uh, we call the they're neurotransmitters, but let's call them chemicals. Imagine that chemicals flood your brain to make you respond or feel in a certain way. And we have good feel-good chemicals Mm -hmm. and we have chemicals that will trigger anxiety and stress. We do. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Yes. So anxiety happens when there's a particular part of the brain that's responsible for sensing trouble and sensing threat. Um, And it's something is built and it's been designed for 
since we first had humans on on the planet, it was designed with that specific um, purpose for us to be able to pick up on danger and to pick up on threat. Um, You touched on it um, a moment um, ago um, as well. But what happens is when something happens and it puts us in potential danger, we need to react and respond to that. So if you think about all of those years ago when we were living in caves and we would have to wake up every single morning we were made and designed to wake up in fear in in order to make sure that we are able to keep ourselves alive every day. And that was really heightened back then. It would be a case of we need to wake up in fear, assess the situation, assess all the potential dangers and look at all of the risks. The world's very different now. But back then, um, when we were living in that type of world, straight away what happens is when you are in threat, when there's danger around, cortisol floods the brain. And that is the the chemical that floods through the brain that is related and connects to to stress. And that is what um, makes you you feel potentially anxious as well in a situation. Because it gives you your fight or flight. It's designed if you go back to those cave days where you every day was life or death. Yeah the fight or flight response has to say, can I fight this? Can I stand my ground and survive and fight this? Or do I fly? Do I get the hell out of here? Yeah. Because this is very, very dangerous now. Um, so that's where the stress response comes from. A, a chemical called cortisol that releases in the brain that is designed to uh, give you tunnel vision, mm. to increase your heart rate, to uh, switch off other senses in the body and get you focused on what the risk is entirely. And it only deals in extremes. It will make you want to fight or flight, right? So we talk about it all the time here at T2. What's really interesting about this, if anybody's out there and thinking, how how have we gone from, um, you know, cortisol flooding the brain when there's a saber-toothed tiger or when there's fire that burns or when there's berries that poison or whether you're on the edge of a cliff. Mm. How do we go from that to everyday anxiety and cortisol when we worry about what people think about us or social media or whether we're going to lose our jobs Mm. or do you know what I mean? How have we gone so far? Well, someone explained it to me like this. If you think about the terms of reference over those hundreds of thousands of years, Hundreds of thousands of years ago, you lived in a very small tribe with a handful of people. And there was basically five big dangers. Like it was, you know, predators, number one. It was things that can poison you, number two. Things that can burn you, number three. Things that will make you fall to your death, number four. And there was probably like four or five big dangers. So if you think about the brain... 200,000 years ago, it was it was very alert and switched on to five big things because mm-hmm. that was every day, right? But when those five big things were, wasn't there, the brain could uh, operate as normal, cortisol would not be released, and you was very relaxed and in a calm state. Yeah. So you had these intense bursts of survival mechanism, but then it would subside and it would only reactivate again if you encountered the big five. Does that make sense? Yeah. Whereas if you then go through hundreds of thousands of years and the population increases and communities build and we start living with not only a handful of people, but hundreds of people, thousands of people, millions of people. We have things like cars, machinery. We have urban areas. We have all sorts of stuff. We have disease. We have food supplies. We have all of this stuff, which your terms of reference for fear significantly increase because more inputs are going into the brain than ever before. So the evolution of anxiety, if you think about it, 
is purely driven by the fact that over those hundreds of thousands of years, we have grown significantly. We live in much larger communities. We take in more pieces of information a day than we ever used to as cave people. Yeah. And therefore, it will trigger the cortisol response far more than it used to. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's out there wondering why we seem to catastrophize and be anxious about things we would never have been anxious about hundreds of thousands of years ago, that's the answer. And then we have so much more going on. There's so much more that we, our brains have to process these days. There's so much happening. So when you think about specifically what anxiety is, anxiety is that um, we're focused on future. It's like that future state of mind, but it's solely focused on worry. It's solely focused on fear. And for a lot of people, there's the fear of the unknown, not understanding or knowing what's going to happen next. We like to feel safe. We like to be in control. So if there's a lot happening around us, and we don't know what's happening or why it's going to happen, then of course it's natural for the cortisol to be released and that then builds that stress and anxiety. Control is a big word you've used there, Bernice. And I think ultimately, if you sat listening to this, you will always have less cortisol and less anxiety when you're in environments and situations that you have a high degree of control over. Mm -hmm. Your cortisol will spike and your anxiety will be induced more when you're in unpredictable environments that you don't always control. Yeah. It's where generalized anxiety disorder comes from when you think about people in crowded spaces and going on the underground and getting on a flight. And, yeah. you know, you don't control the entire environment when you're doing those things, mm -hmm. right? When you sat at home with your, you know, your partner and kids and you're watching a film, yeah. you control a large part of what happens in that environment, which is why you're more relaxed. Right. When you're driving a car, you feel more in control. When you're in the passenger seat of a car, mm. you feel more anxious. Certainly if you're my wife, right? <laughs> if she's listening to this. Because because you, because the degree of control you have at the wheel is far greater than the one you don't than you have in the passenger seat. Does this make sense? Yes. So, you know, anxiety can be triggered largely by a lack of control. And if you think about modern day life to your point, we're out in the world, we're traveling a lot, we're in busy environments. There's a lot of things that can happen that we don't control mm -hmm. and that can set us off because we, because when we don't feel like we're in control, we panic and we worry. Yes. Some more than others, but everyone to a certain degree. Yes. So anxiety is there. It's part of human existence. It's been with us for years. What once was the big five and maybe it would trigger a few times a day and, and subside uh, or maybe a few times a week, depending on how you lived can now be an every hour, every day occurrence, given yeah. the fact that we're in environments with a lot of people, big communities, um, in environments and situations that we don't control. It's no longer the big five, it's now the big 5,000. It's the big 5,000. Yeah. There's, there's got to be a strap line in that. For, <laughs> for, for Mental Health Awareness Week this week, it's got to be the big 5,000. Yeah. And that is the truth. You know, your brain's trying to process a lot. And then what, get, what happens is um, your brain's very clever at... Um, you know, repeating patterns of behavior and neural pathways. So, for example, if you have a couple of experiences in a tight space like a lift or a yeah. bus or an underground train where you have that fight or flight response because you feel uneasy, you feel trapped, you feel like something could go wrong, then what the brain does is it releases cortisol. That creates anxiety. You mm -hmm. feel incredibly uneasy about the situation. I've got to get out of here, flight. Yeah. You, the train doors open or the bus doors open or the lift doors open and you get out of there and you get outside and you take a few deep breaths and you think that was very uncomfortable. Mm. What the brain does then is it puts that in your computer yes. as a memory. Mm -hmm. 
we don't like lifts or buses or trains. Remember yeah. last time it, it created this response. So the next time you get on the bus or the train or you go in the lift, your brain's very clever at searching that computer and going, ooh, do you remember this? We don't like this. The anxiety starts to come on again, the, the sweating, the nervousness, whatever mm. it might be. And this neural pathway strengthens every single time yeah. you encounter this situation, right? Um, and if you then avoid the situation because you think, I'm not doing it anymore, it becomes a gremlin it and it does. grows and grows and grows. If you can build up the courage to keep going on that train and bus, after about several visits, your brain's likely to go, hang on a second, it's not so bad. Mm. Nothing really bad happened. Yes. You start conditioning, conditioning yourself and desensitizing yourself to that anxiety but that's the way the brain works so if you've ever wondered why have i got this irrational fear i know i'm not gonna die but i've got this irrational fear about getting on the bus and sitting in the middle and having people box me in from either sides yeah or going to the cinema and being in the middle row and not feel, feeling like i can get out or whatever yeah. it might be well it's not irrational no it's been programmed by experiences over a, a period of time that you've not enjoyed you yes. know normal. And again, thinking about the brain. So when you look at high levels um, of stress and high levels of anxiety as well, when, when you're in that state, the reality is that you end up, you can't connect with the human. So when high levels of stress and anxiety actually reduces the functionality of the logical part of the brain. So therefore you're in that chimp state that's solely focused on emotions and feelings. So that's when you then, when you look at the symptoms of what actually anxiety is, it is often that kind of those feelings, that panic and everything. Um, so it's important to, to understand that as well, that when you're feeling like that, your brain isn't in its logical part. No. And then this is what happens. So you might start off with that innocuous um, anxiety-inducing time where you got on the bus and yeah. you felt hemmed in. Um, and that's never happened before. It's happened for the first time, but all of a sudden now you've got that anchor in the brain, right? Yeah. And then what happens is if, if, if that happens over a period of time, it can then trigger anxiety over other things that you associate with that. Mm. So it goes from the bus to the restaurant, to the cinema, to people, to going out. Yeah. And, and then that's why you can see how people all of a sudden can start to suffer with a little bit of generalized anxiety mm. because the flood in the brain with cortisol yeah. so often that it's almost like the tap is now left on. And I'm, I'm, my brain is now perceiving most things as danger or a threat or that I'm not going to enjoy it. Quite often, the answer to it, if you think scientifically, is, is twofold. It is exposure and repetition to the fear yes. that you are experiencing yeah. because you will replace the neural pathway with a, the gremlin with a positive autopilot and say, yeah. it ain't so bad. You know, if you go up at heights enough or get on a plane enough, you will soon start to dampen the, the, mm. the fear. If you avoid it at all costs, it will grow. So repetition and exposure... In the military, they call it exposure. The things you yeah. fear the most, they will expose you to the most because that is the only way to overcome them. Yes. Um, and then the other the other answer to, or the solution to it, is to manipulate your biochemistry. If your cortisol tap is left on mm -hmm. and it's becoming a little bit um, dysfunctional because it's running right with you over the most simple things, 
then you've got to switch your cortisol tap off for a period of time and give yourself some respite. And that's yeah. why things like SSRIs or beta blockers or antidepressants, they get a stigma, right? But there should not be a stigma with them because what they are essentially doing is cutting off the neurotransmitter that releases cortisol in the brain. Yeah. They're giving you some respite. Yeah. From the, from the cortisol, which hopefully hopefully means you can then get out in the world, put yourself into the exposure of the things that's causing it, mm. and slowly over time, you start reconditioning the brain to say, this ain't so bad. Yes. If that makes sense. Yeah. I think you're spot on there, though, with um, repetition, that exposure um, as well, just to build that, I think, that um, level of control, level of confidence back. So, um, I mean, I'm okay, um, open and honest. Um, last year, I crashed my car and it was quite big, quite dramatic. It had a significant impact for me. And I'd like to think I've always been very fortunate in regards to, um, I think naturally I'm a very positive person. I have a very positive outlook on the world. So um, with that in mind, I've I've had fairly good positive mental health, but that was the first thing in my life that really had an impact on me. And anxiety hit me so bad. For me, it was a case of I crashed my car really bad, pouring rain, skidded the car, span it, ended up upside down in a hedge opposite the other side of the road. And for me, I then had no car for a couple of weeks. So anxiety started to build for me because it was that fear of the unknown, that fear of well, what's going to happen when I get in a car again? And what's going to happen when I drive again? What's going to happen if I'm driving in the rain? And it built and built. And I knew I needed to just get in the car and just drive. I went to a random garage just to test drive a yeah. random Ford Fiesta um, just because I knew I needed to do that because my brain was just in overload. That cortisol was flooding of that constant worry in fear and what if this what if that once I got my new car I then had to get into the habit of going on real short little bursts little tiny little drives to build that repetition and to build that exposure because I knew it was the only thing that it was me taking control of that situation to build my confidence back up because I knew if I didn't, if I avoided it, it would just grow and yeah, build. If you, if you said, I'm not going to drive for a few years now, I'm taking a break, it would have been such a bigger deal to get Huge. back in that car. So, so you make a really valid point there. And I think, you know, another way to think about it is like this. Um, if your brain is not focused on the present, as in you are not occupied and have something to concentrate on or do in the present, then it can the brain can only go in two directions. It can either think about things that have happened in the past, yeah. or it can start to think about things that they may that they think may happen in the future, mm. right? And that's the difference between practical worrying and hypothetical worrying. Practical worries are what am I worrying about here and now? Oh, I've got to get that presentation done for the client tomorrow. Yes, that releases some cortisol, some healthy anxiety. You open your laptop, you get your presentation done. Once you've got your presentation done, you go, bingo, I'm ready for tomorrow. The anxiety subsides. Yeah. Practical worries are things that are happening in the present that you control yes. and that you can uh, resolve. Hypothetical worrying, which is worrying about things that have either happened in the past that you don't control mm -hmm. or that you perceive may happen in the future are the ones that will really trigger ongoing anxiety. And if you think about the pandemic, B, mm. a lot of people report that through the pandemic and the lockdown periods, they suffered more with anxiety than they ever have before. And one of the reasons for that, and we know this in the data now, one of the reasons for that is because people had nothing to do in the present. Yeah. So all they were left with is to think about things from the past or what might happen in the future yeah. after the pandemic, that sends the brain on a wild goose chase. Am I going to lose my job? 
am I going to get COVID? Is my mother and father going to get COVID? If I do get it, would I die? If I die, what happens to the kids? Um, am I going to feel confident getting on public transport after this? Am I going to want to go back into the office? Yeah. You know, all of these things start going through your brain because you've got nothing to do in the present. So I think the pandemic, those who had routine and kept themselves busy and had a exercise routine and a dog walking routine and they yeah. did the morning stuff and they had kids and they did homework with them and they took up a hobby or whatever it might be, seemed to be able to distract the brain into the present, whereas others struggle to do that. And that then makes your brain run riot on hypothetical worrying. And anybody who's listening to this, if you can resonate with this, just have a little smile because it's entirely normal. Yes. All of a sudden, the world returns. We feel really anxious about returning into the world and the workplace. Within three to six months, most people report that they're back on track. Yep. And getting back out there and having routine is the best thing that ever happens to them. We humans need routine. Yeah. We need something to get up and go. That's our purpose. Yeah. Right. And um, I think that that probably explains a little bit around why anxiety levels definitely increased during the pandemic for a lot of people. Yeah. Because that was um, 2020. I My little catchphrase for 2020 is always, it's the year that everything changed. So for, it was work. It was for people. It was raising their kids. So it was um, just how you live about your life. So when everything changes so suddenly and your entire routine has changed, it is only natural that you then have that sense of anxiety because anxiety is future focused and it's the, it's the fear and the worry of the unknown, not knowing what's going to happen. No one had any idea what was going to happen. And that was also heightened by the fact that no one's actually experienced this before. So we don't even have anything that's going to tell us what to do or what might happen. We just all had to sit there and just kind of Plus deal the with fear it. of getting COVID. And if I, if yeah. at the time, the way it was being reported is, you know, am I going to be able to handle it? Will it affect me? Am I going yes. to be one of those people on a ventilator? Is yeah. my family, right? So there was all this going on. And then you'll throw an extra thing in the mix, and it's true, because it was almost like a really weird period of time where there was no weekday or weekend. Yeah. Everybody just sort of had a couple of tipples on an evening with a, yeah. with a family quiz on online. So you were drinking more alcohol than you ever drank, probably, yes. which then doesn't help no. the brain the next day when you're then worrying about the future or, or dwelling on the mm -hmm. past. So it's a very normal thing. And I think in this podcast, we're not going to be able to cover everything we want to cover, so we'll do a part 2B. But I think what we're doing is this this podcast for me is about just exploring anxiety and what it is, understanding it's a it's a basic function of human existence. It keeps us alive. Yeah. And just a, just understanding why it probably is more present in human beings today on a regular basis than it was 200,000 years ago, mm -hmm. even 500 years ago, a thousand years. Yes, there were different challenges then, but we have more information and more inputs into the brain yeah. in modern day life than ever. And we haven't even talked about online, digital, social media right. and the, the, the impact and the influence that that has on creating anxiety. Because mm -hmm. that's huge. Oh, it's huge. That's podcasting. It's just by itself. Even if it's misinformation, <laughs> You only have to load Twitter up or Facebook or LinkedIn and the first thing you see is some disaster story on Sky News yeah. or some conspiracy theorist putting thoughts into your head around what's happening. And you can't decipher these days between what the truth is and what misinformation is. And that's mm -hmm. a massive problem we face for the generation ahead, Yeah, for sure. 
I, I have this saying, I don't believe it's your, that it's our ability to influence that counts anymore. It's our ability to not be influenced that yeah, counts. Yeah, I like that, yeah. Because it's everywhere. The amount of people I see, rational, intelligent people I've known for years who have gone completely bonkers and been absolutely brainwashed by some sort of narrative into... And I, and I watch from a distance and think, wow, do you know what I mean? Um, information, digital, uh, the digital age uh, and social media is playing its big part yeah. in anxiety. Huge. And, and it's showing as well when you look at the data and the science behind it is research shows that um, people of a younger generation, so teenagers, people in their early 20s, really high amounts and levels of stress, of anxiety, because it's that constant. There's so much going on. They're constantly comparing themselves to things on social media or they're seeing things and then they're questioning things. And yeah, they're exposed to so much. It's building that cortisol for them. And it, the result is it's impacting on mental health, which no one wants for someone at such a young age where you're still building your own map of the world. It's really important that you're able to do so in a really positive and productive way. And you're not being influenced by all of this negativity that's around you. Exactly. So in summary for this podcast, I'm going to come with a part two, because I think what we'll do in part two is we will get stuck into coping mechanisms yes. and some things we can do in modern day life to yeah. just guard against these, these anxiety inducing triggers and and just give ourselves a little bit of a, a respite at times, be able to intervene before it runs away with us. It's not easy for everybody, but it'll certainly help some. Mm. But for this podcast, what the message is, I think, be is... Anxiety is part of our evolution. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a human, uh, a very human thing. It's part of our existence. It keeps us alive. Self-preservation is our number one innate function, yes. as we know. And for millions of years, certainly the last two hundred thousand, it has seen us rise to the top of the food chain. Right, we're very good at it. Um, but it's it's increased. Uh, the amount of anxiety we can experience is far more significant than it was maybe a few hundred thousand years ago, purely on the number of inf bits of information, the reference points, where we live, how we live, the communities we build. Yeah. You know, it's not the big five anymore. To your point, it's the big 5,000. Mm -hmm. So we don't need to be afraid of it. We need to understand it. We need to know that it's normal. And I think in part two, we'll come back uh, for, the, for the second podcast and say, okay, so now we know the history of it. And now we know that it's going to happen for multiple reasons. What can we do about it? Sounds good. B, I enjoyed that. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. And we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast.